0: Yo and hello, everybody. Mike Moynihan here and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, a podcast where I try to dive deep into the different areas of the vintage sports card market, primarily baseball. I'm not going to lie, a big baseball guy. And, you know, here we go with another episode. This is episode number 10. So if you've been following along with the journey, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you watching and i hope you're enjoying what you're seeing and what we're giving you guys so today i want to first say congratulations to the los angeles dodgers Uh, they won the world series they you know beat the tampa bay rays and i feel like they were easily the most talented team and they ended up winning and you know congrats to all the dodgers fans out there it's been a long drought from a world series since 1988 but no longer so congrats to you guys uh today i wanted to do an episode kind of different i wanted to talk to somebody who could maybe add a little bit different perspective on the cardboard world that we all live and play in and it's the perspective of a younger person because i think that the vintage world has long been thought of as the old cogitor you know area of the sports card world and now that I'm, again, you know, I just had a birthday a little over a week ago, and I'm feeling like I might be getting old enough to be in old cogitor land or whatever. I'm now 47, and my love, but my love for vintage. We'll talk about my story with vintage and, and through this topic, I think, a little bit. But I wanted to bring someone on that I think can provide multiple angles and perspectives on the topic of a millennial's view of vintage. What do younger collectors think about vintage? How do they feel about it? And so my guest today is my very good friend, JT. JT, what's up? How are you doing, Mike? Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You are very welcome, my friend. Great to have you. I, you know, it's weird when you and I first met. We've known each other almost two years now, I would guess. Does that sound about right?
1: Uh, in the hobby, two years is a very long time. So it might not sound like that long, but yet yeah, it feels like it's been a very long time now.
0: It does. And what you guys don't know out there is JT and I talk, how oh, multiple times every week, almost every day, probably, at least a, ch- a text or a chat or something. Um, Certainly four or five days a week, JT and I are communicating some way and he's become a great friend. We met for the first time in person at the national last year, uh, which was obviously a great experience. Your first national, right? Yep. And it will be uh, the first of many, hopefully. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, so when we got to meet, we went to dinner and, you know, we you and I knew each other, but we, we became close much closer after that and since then have again talked often i wanted to get your perspective today because i think it's important everybody wants this hobby to have longevity everybody wants this hobby to have staying power and right now we're seeing a lot of the hobby being dominated by modern cards by you know investors Flippers, whatever you want to call them, sneakerheads, all these people coming into the hobby and kind of taking over. And it's younger people that are doing that. I don't know if you did you get to see uh, the Breaker Culture episode about the underworld of the sports card hobby? I did. I, I definitely feel like it's something that is
1: more specific towards my generation or definitely has developed that reputation. Almost in the same way that vintage has, as you said, developed the reputation of kind of being the
0: old man's game, so to speak, uh, in the hobby. It was literally one of the most fascinating videos I've seen in a long, long time, mainly because I feel so disconnected from that world. That's the idea of having bots buy cards on websites and using technology to leverage your situation, which I honestly don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just don't know how to do it. And and it's kind of one of those funny things that people bitch and moan and complain about something that they don't understand, which is true kind of of our country and of our world, right? And I don't understand it, but I respect the effort and how people are willing to take technology and leverage it and use it to their advantage. You know, good on them for figuring it out, uh, how to take advantage of the system. It's not their fault. For being, I think, uh, creative, it's the system's fault that allows it to happen. That's that's my take on it. How do you feel about it?
1: I feel the same way. There has always been loopholes, and as long as there are loopholes, when one closes, usually another one opens somewhere else, and that's where people flock to once they figure it out. Uh, balance is always restored in the hobby, so eventually this will balance out. That's always the big question: is when will this balance out? But it's an inevitability more than a uncertainty I would say
0: yes and I when the kid it was a kid that he was, and I say kid he was 18 years old and by the way guys JT is 20 are you 22 or 23 right now I'll be 23 later this month 23 later this month and so you're a kid too to me you're, you could be my kid my son is only uh, a year and a half younger than you, so <laughs> it is, uh, and I mean that with a great deal of respect. By the way, because I have tremendous respect for you, JT, and what you do, and your knowledge of the hobby, your willingness to learn and listen, and open mindedness about the hobby, is, I think, incredibly unique. And you have a very mature viewpoint of it, and I respect that. So I just wanted to get that out there. That I appreciate though, that. Thank you. You're welcome, It totally deserved, because even though you're young in years. You are uh, incredibly knowledgeable and again, your willingness to learn. And I think that you surround yourself because I know who your close friends are (laughs) (laughs) and you surround yourself and they know who they are too. They're going to be listening to this, that you surround yourself with people that you want to learn from and you're eager to learn. And that's not a trait. Sadly, certainly an older generation always feels like, we we were better. We were, you know, we, y'all net, didn't have it so hard as we did. You know, we walked through the snow both ways to school, barefooted, yada, yada. It's so much easier now. And I don't, every every generation has its own challenges, right? They may be slightly different. And, but you are a unique, and what people may not know is you're also a card dealer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a perspective that you can go, all right, I'm a millennial card dealer collector. I see it from both sides. I can, and and I want to kind of hear what you're feeling about these millennials in the market. Thinking about that video again with that kid that was on the 18 year old to me, it's like, they're all going to, I think it's going to be a fad. I really do. I don't think it has much staying power or longevity to it. Do you agree, disagree with that? I believe
1: that there are positives and negatives. And I'll probably say that multiple times throughout this show today is that there's multiple ways to look at it. So could it be a fad for a lot of people? Absolutely. Uh, What I've found in my life is that a lot of the fads that I've had, and maybe this is something that's more unique to my personality or just who I am, but maybe other people as well can, might think like this who are my age, I, I don't know for sure, is there's at least that exposure to it. And oftentimes I will maybe revisit certain fads that I've had in my life just to be like, hey, this is, uh, this is what I used to be into, am I still into it now? And it's sometimes really cool because you get to look at it from a perspective of now that you're older, how you viewed it back then. And maybe it loses a little bit of the magic that it initially had. But the fact that they are actually being exposed to it, it might just be one of those things where they got in it for X reason and they're going to come out of it with Y reason. Uh, And for what we're talking about here, some of it go into it thinking, all right, I'm going to make a ton of money doing this. But at the end of the day, they end up amassing a really cool collection and they just enjoy accumulating the cards and loving the hobby. And that's what I hope definitely happens. Um, and if, if it doesn't, then then so be it. But I just know that my experience with it, it's been a very rewarding experience all the time that I put into the hobby. I've made it a career. Um, and but still, even if it wasn't, it's something that I wouldn't trade in. I just I would hope that someone else would be able to share that same experience. Obviously, wouldn't be the exact same way that I have felt it. It would be unique to their own circumstances. But however they chose to. Um, embrace the hobby
0: would be, uh, would be ideal. Do you think those kids that are doing the bots and all, you know, the guys that are converting converted sneaker heads or whatever, do you think they're delving into the vintage world or they stand mostly with unopened product and modern singles?
1: From my exposure to them, they really don't touch the vintage. And I think a big part of that is because their ultimate goal is for resale. And if uh, a lot of them have this tendency to kind of view it as the stock market. And I think that there are definitely a few similarities where you can draw comparisons. I won't say that it's not like the stock market at all, but also at the same time, there are some very key differences. The one that I usually like to go back to is if I have 10 shares of Google, I can always just sell those at any time I want and it'll, they'll be accepted at that price, whatever they're trading at. Say that I have, I don't know what they're at right now, well, I'll say $2,500. Uh, I have 10 Mike Trout PSA 10 tops Update rookies that are selling at 2500 each. That's theoretically what they should sell for, but the card is only worth that if someone is willing to pay that. Now, is someone willing to pay that price for that card? Probably. Um, But for different cards, it might be something else. So um, a lot of people are looking at some of these modern cards because they have more room to grow. They're your overnight stocks if you're going to look at it from a stock point. But whereas vintage, it's something that's very steady. Um, If vintage really starts to tank, we have some pretty big problems that we're going to need to discuss. And I'm sure you would have a, a few episodes you could do on that if that day ever came to be. But for the most part, it's a very safe thing. The really difficult part with it is that it's a tough, um, there's a lot of barriers to entry if you're going to sell vintage. And this has been my experience as a dealer. I love getting vintage inventory in, but it is often very difficult to come across it unless you're buying in bulk or some kind of quantity, such as a collection, where someone is just trying to move it all at once and you can get that bulk price because when it's pieced out individually, there's usually very, very little room to actually make anything on it. And a lot of it too is that I think it's a little bit more difficult to learn than the modern stuff. Um, if, you, if you get into the modern stuff, it, there's a lot of changes from year to year, but vintage, there are so many more, um, I would say it's almost like learning a new language. So if you look at all of the romance languages, there's a lot of similarities where if you learn Spanish, you can probably learn French uh, a lot easier or any of those whereas English has all these little nuances with it where it doesn't necessarily follow the same rules as maybe some of the other languages out there and that's how I feel vintage is is that there's all these little tricks and little insider knowledges that you have to know and for a lot of these people they're just not willing to put the time into it when you get something that's much easier
0: you just said about five things I really want to dive <laughs> in a deeper uh, I want to talk about the learning curve for a minute and the resistance to that, then you said, golly, you said so many great, I'm just going, oh my gosh, should, should have been writing them down. That would have been actually pretty intelligent of me to do that. The, the resistance to, to vintage, why do you think, why do you think they don't want to, I guess, because it takes a while to learn, right? It t- that learning curve is long or can be for vintage. And millennials just don't have the patience for it. What do you think that is the key to that?
1: One thing I noticed quite often as a tool that people use for flipping is the grading aspect. And this is something that's starting to change now just based on what I see for sale on online and also in person at shows. But a lot more vintage is graded than it is raw when you're looking at the secondary market. That's just been kind of my perception. And I think when people are looking to buy vintage, oftentimes they're looking for it in a certain grade. And when you do have that numerical grade and you have sources such as eBay's completed sales, you have uh, vintage card prices, VCP, all of those factors make it where the price is much more concrete and in a hobby that has become, in my opinion, over-reliant on some of those sources for as price guides, there's a lot less wiggle room to kind of debate what a card is worth and nobody's going to sell it to you for less than what they think it's worth a lot of times. So that's what I think a big part of it is, where you can buy a lot of these new cards raw, or you can pull them out of packs and then grade them. And that's a very easy way to make money in the eyes of many. It's not as easy as it looks. I I will say that (laughs) very fair warning um it can definitely look easy but as someone who grades a lot of cards it's it's not um tens are not automatic out of the packs whereas vintage i've i've had a very steep learning curve learning how it grades myself even if i'm looking to buy raw vintage to then slab and then move um you have to be very careful with it and you have to know a lot about the sets that go into it where there's not like i said not as many of those nuances in some of these modern
0: sets so you think there's less bargains out there on the vintage market than there could potentially be in the modern market? Absolutely. Unless you're buying in bulk, you're
1: probably not going to find too many. Uh, and there's always the stories where you go into a Goodwill and just randomly sitting there on the shelf. There's the stack of 1960 tops that's just it's just sitting there and you. that's more so luck. But if you're looking for something that's more consistent, vintage, you have to buy in a bulk.
0: And you want to do high volume, which is what these guys are doing. These millennials are doing huge volumes of cards. Right. And they're, the margins are just much higher. The potential appreciation is much higher on a week to week, month to month basis. Cause as the kid said on that video, it was, or that podcast, it was, they're looking to flip everything within a month. You know, they want to get in and out They're They're trying to hold it as short-term as possible, which I think also if you're, if you're a vintage collector, you're, I just think you think more long-term. I just, I think it's more of that collector mentality versus the flipper mentality uh, because you're dealing with typically older people that have more of a, a different perspective. And that's again, not good or bad. It just, I think is what it is, right? It's the way it is. Cause when I started, Collecting vintage, which was probably what is it, 2020? Sadly, still 2020. Um, almost done. We're almost, almost there. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am. Uh, I haven't always collected vintage, even though I've been collecting now almost 40 years. I used to buy the packs at the store, just like everybody else did when I was a kid, and it was cheap. It was gettable. You know, you could go into a store and buy it, and I knew the players because they were players I could watch on television. Um, And then as I grew older and learned more, maybe I'm unusual. I loved the history of the game from an early age an early love of baseball and appreciated and learned about it. And it made me go, wow, Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron and all these guys. Right. But even then, relatively speaking, their cards were expensive. So how much do you think cost? factors into that you can go buy a fernando tatis rookie for example for or you could at one point twenty dollars or forty dollars you know good luck getting pretty much any mantle for that you know what i mean it's so i think cost plays into it a lot there's just not as much money available for them agree disagree
1: i think there's ways to collect vintage on a budget and i've done that too one of the projects that i did as a huge detroit tigers fan was putting together The uh, ultimate team set of the Detroit Tigers. So going back from 1951 all the way to now in 2020, the entire team run only the tops flagship cards. And that was a fun product, or uh, excuse me, a fun project uh, to kind of go through and you you learn about the players, you learn about the teams along the way. Uh, You learn all the little nuances again, that's been the key word for me here, uh, of all the different sets, what to look for. And there were some challenges, and there's still a few cards that I'm missing. Uh, one of the challenges being the 1954 Topps Card 201, which is the Al Kaline rookie, probably the most famous card among the entire run. Uh, my copy is what we like to call a beater. Um, it is completely, uh, it has been very well loved over the years. You can tell that it was probably played with back when it was pulled out of packs in the 1950s. But I love it. It has a lot of character with it. I have the card in a binder, so there's not really anything that I can do to it now that probably hasn't already been done to it, aside from it getting cut in half or something like that. But it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a beautiful card still. It, it The image is still great on it. And it has, like I said, it has that character to it. Um, and I thought I got a fantastic deal. I don't mind sharing that. I paid $100 for it. It would probably be a PSA Authentic, I'm not sure what the market is on a PSA authentic Al K line, but a lot of those cards were not as expensive as that one. They're not all these vintage cards where they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars. A lot of the comments I got on uh, various websites for $5 or less, even some of the all-star players, some of the semi-stars out there, some of the K lines I even got for under $10. So it just really depends. Uh, what you're looking for it, it I think it goes for anything uh if you want to say in the modern game collect Mike Trout unless you got money you're just not going to be buying his rookies that's just there's no way around that and I think if you look at it from a vintage standpoint you want to buy mantle stuff there's just no way around getting mantle playing day cards without spending a considerable amount of money There are some alternatives, such as you could go after some of the league leaders' cards. Maybe they're not as extravagant, but if we all knew a way to get a cheap 52 tops Mickey Mantle, I think we would all do it, and we would all have one in our collection. So there's not really a a way to do that. You just kind of have to work with what you have. But um, I think sometimes some of us, like we want the best stuff and when we can't get that it it can be very discouraging but there are plenty of ways to get involved in vintage on any budget
0: what do you think could be a key to converting how do i say this without sounding if if some people just don't like vintage period no matter what their age i know older collectors in age that don't care for vintage they just collect modern stuff you know so uh i've grown an appreciation for vintage over time just because i love the nostalgia i love the history all that stuff i've mentioned is there a way you think that that appreciation can be passed down from generation to generation generation to generation
1: i believe so and It just ties back to everything we say about passing along the hobby to the next generation. And and anyway, I think a lot of those characteristics kind of carry over into this discussion. And the biggest thing is exposure. Um, And I talked about this earlier with the flippers, where they are at least being exposed to the sports cards. And maybe this is, if it's something that they move away from at any point in time, something they could return to as a collector. Maybe they become collectors out of this experience. With vintage, for me, a lot of it was I, I didn't do any vintage before I got on YouTube. Um, when I started watching YouTube videos of people who collected vintage, seeing their appreciation for it and hearing them talk about it, including yourself, uh, that that really inspired me to possibly take a look at it. And Am I going to go out and collect the same vintage cards that you do? No. It's just, it doesn't appeal to me the same way it does to you, but I appreciate how much it uh, appeals to you. And Maybe there's a set that I really like, or there's a player I really like, and I say to myself, let me go check to see if this player is in this set, if they have this type of card, and I go and I look it up, and now that's something that I've taken your passion for it, or whoever's passion for it, and I've put it in my own context now, where it has that appeal to me. Um, so I, I just think a lot of it is a lot of people, especially my age, when I was younger, I really didn't get exposed to vintage. My dad didn't have any vintage cards. Um, all, the, all the vintage cards in the family were the, the classic horror story that they were sold in a yard sale or that they were thrown out. Um, that was Those were the horror stories throughout pretty much all the, the kids in my family who would have grown up during this time uh, when the vintage cards were being released. So I never really had that exposure and it wasn't until I just talked with other people about the hobby that I was able to gain that appreciation. So and I I would say that applies for most things in life is when you get talking about them, you get more enlightened regarding those aspects. And it doesn't mean that people are gonna jump on the vintage bandwagon right away once they hear about it, but it at least gets the wheels turning and it opens the door for them to possibly find something they really like or even you know i'm sure a lot of people just appreciate what it means
0: i think there's a key point you just said there that you took what you saw on youtube and and i know it's not just from me it's from a bunch of people that you see and you're like and it happens to me even today where i see something and i'm inspired to investigate it learn about it but at the end of the day if i don't make it my own somehow I internalize that love that or, or infuse that passion from someone else and, and kind of go, well, what do I love about it? It can't be about what somebody else loves about it. It can't be about the dollar value attached to a card. It can't be any of that. I mean, it can be if you have a flipper you know, if you're just doing it, you know, to, to make a buck, that's a totally different mentality than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a collector mentality. Then it's not going to be in your collection very long. And In your case, I know you've bought some very cool vintage cards lately that because of your business, you've, you've flipped, but I know you have a deep appreciation about it. I'd love to talk about those cards actually. Absolutely. Just a second, but that making it your own, that making it, what do you love about it is so critical to the long-term enjoyment slash commitment to anything. And, And vintage is truly that way. Um, I want to add with that is that it's, I mean,
1: if you look at sports cards, what do they fall into? They are in the sports memorabilia category. Um, My background, my education was in sport management, sport marketing. And one of the things that we always learned with sport marketing was that you want people to take that experience home with you just because sports are very unique in a sense where They're not like this physical item, but it's so, we are so emotionally attached to it while this is also this entity that really for the most part has no effect on our lives. Like yesterday, the Detroit lions made fools of themselves on the football field as they normally do. Um, I think your Cowboys did the same on Sunday night. Thanks for by the way. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I took equal digs at us there. We had to, (laughs) we got to air our grievances. Uh, and we might have been upset about those games yesterday. But you and I both woke up today. We did our work. We went on with our lives. But there are these very emotional things. If you if your team loses game seven of the World Series, it's this emotional heartbreak. But the next day you get up, you go about your business. Like nothing happened. It really has no impact. So it's, it's very interesting how there's this huge emotional connection to sports um, but as getting back on topic with that, is we always look for ways to kind of, enca- you know, when those great moments happen, we want to find ways to bring it home with us, to uh, capture that moment, capture lightning in a bottle. And I think cards are a great way to do it, and especially with something um, such as vintage cards where you never got, you mentioned this in the last episode, you never got to see Roberto Clemente play. Um, but at the same time, you can appreciate the history of Roberto Clemente and all that he did, not just for the game of baseball, but just the planet, um, you know, civilization, uh, he he had a tremendous impact. And how do you connect with someone like that, who you never got to see play? You were not alive while they were alive. Well, and that would be the case for anyone who's my age, who didn't get to see any of these vintage players play it's through collecting, uh, their, their memorabilia. And usually if you're if you're a fan of a certain team, that's a good place to look where as a, as a Tigers fan, one of the first places I'm going to look is the 68 team without K-line. How uh, they come back from th- down three to one against the dominant Bob Gibson, rest in peace to him, uh, to defeat the Cardinals or the roar of 84, where this team just absolutely. Piles on the winds are 35 and five to start the season. They run through everyone. No problems. Those are the places that I look and it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be different for everyone. But that's uh, those are those things that I like to capture
0: those moments again for for the first time. Sure. And but it takes time to learn that. Right. It's easy to the easy, low hanging fruit is collect what you see on television today. Collecting the Tatises and the Acunas and the guys like that you have to make a concerted effort To go learn about that history to go learn about that 68 world series the 84 team Uh with kirk gibson and sparky anderson lou Whitaker, alan trammell what a great team, right? They beat the padres in the world series if I remember, right? right and it's
1: it's also too that they just don't show game five of the 1984 world series on tv except for during the off season on MLB network when they don't really have anything else to air. And that's a channel that unless you have cable and you have a upgraded plan, you don't have access to it. So whereas you get ESPN, you get Fox, you get whatever station baseball happens to be on where you're exposed to that constantly. And it's very easy to gain access to that. Whereas like you said you kind of have to go out of your way to, to find this stuff so it makes a lot of sense that people are going to gravitate towards what's constantly being pushed at them rather than what's not as talked about as much
0: great point the cards that being a dealer going to shows seeing things i want to talk about two aspects of shows the first one i want to talk about is your the cards you've picked up recently and essentially you were able to buy you, you buy things in bulk you're very savvy about that and you help me out a lot when you do that too by the way but you picked up two just iconic sorry dave wonderful cards the 53 tops jackie robinson the 53 tops satchel page and why don't you tell the story of acquiring those cards the appreciation you have for those cards why you even wanted them and then what ultimately you did with them
1: Well, it's fresh in the memory because it was a show that uh, happened just a month ago. So we've already gone through this whole journey uh, and I've barely had time to kind of digest it all, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, One of the things that I always find fascinating is that usually when I'm driving to shows, I'm I'm in the mindset like, okay, here's the game plan for today. Here's how I'm going to attack this. And usually something just totally out of left field will pop up. And in this case, it's a Dealer, who I've built a very good rapport with, has this absolutely phenomenal vintage collection. I mean, you mentioned some of the cards that I bought, but there's some mid- to high-grade mantles in there. There's this 56 Jackie Robinson PSA 8. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's It almost looks like it's too good to be true. Like These cards, you just don't see these every day in this shape and I'm looking at these and I'm I'm talking about prices I just if I can find good vintage at a good deal I'll get it just because it's difficult to find it at a good deal I get my numbers and usually there's that point where I I hear a number on something where I'm, I'm not really expecting like I'm not expecting that I'm going to be able to get these cards I'm just going to ask about them talk about them get the appreciation for them because I like to do that even on the cards that I know that there's 0% chance I can afford them without going on the ramen noodle diet for the next 365 days uh i'll at least you know talk with the dealer because that's that's fun that's fun for me and it it makes the job kind of more enjoyable uh but it was one of those conversations where i'm thinking in my head i actually i think i verbalized this oh crap that's pretty good i'm gonna have to really think about this so i start in people who I, I know know this better than I do. That's one of the great things about the hobby that I've found is that I can Pretty much everybody I know someone who knows something about what I'm looking at if I don't know about it myself And I just I've picked up on certain things. So I know exactly what I'm looking at here I know that these are pretty good grades. I know that Assign grade aside. These are just beautiful cards. Um, you could cover up the flip and I would tell you that they're higher grades and I come back to the dealer. I, I add on a few more cards to it. There was a 54 tops Al Kaline. There was a couple that Mike, you needed for your set. I believe it was 55 Bowman Yogi Berra and a 66 tops Roberto Clemente. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Good memory. I am uh, I'm surprised I got that. So I bundled those five cards together. We came together on a price and I'm, um, I'm shaking as I'm carrying these cards back to the table. And it's not because I, I've always wanted a 53 tops, Jackie Robinson. It is my second favorite tops guard of all time. Uh, so to acquire that, it have the 53 tops mantle. Um, <laughs> I, probably an unpopular opinion, but I actually like the 53 tops mantle more than the 52. Uh, I'll gladly take any criticism. Uh, in the comments section of wherever you happen to be listening to this or anybody who wants to bring in the pitchforks for that but I said I and at the satchel page as well as a card that that's a card two years ago I would not have understood just how significant it is in the hobby Uh, but picking it up then just through learning about the vintage I had such a great amount of respect for that card. Um, and, and of course the K line is, is one that's always going to be very near and dear to my heart. So to be able to add that, uh, the initial plan was, and and this is usually how this goes is that these were cards that I wanted to hold long-term apologies for my dog going off in the background. Uh, we've got, we both got small dogs and they like to talk during our shows. No worries. Um, so I have these cards and usually what I'll do is I'll put them up on eBay in my store and I will say here's my price i know that i'm asking for more than what market value is but it's because i'm not going to sell them unless you name my price i have this card it's really nice this is what i value it at if you're willing to come up to my price it can be had and that's what happened very very quickly as a matter of fact where these offers trickle in and they just get a little bit more, where uh, not not quite where I want to get to, but it's a very fair offer, and I'll tell the buyer that this this is a very fair offer. this is I know this is market value. I'm just not willing to let this go. And they're usually very understanding. Um, but they just keep going at it. and eventually they get to a price where I say, i I have to take this because this is this is too much and it it really does sting. There's some cards where when I go to package them up and send them out, and there's a very wide variety of them where i go man it's it's hard to see this go but it's it's the same thing i talked about earlier i just went on to the next shipment right after it dropped it off at the post office like it's no big deal and went back home and put up more cards at my store and that was that that. you kind of have to have a short memory but i i will always remember those cards the experience that went along with it and having had had owned them at one point in time that is uh I feel very satisfied with that
0: and you sold the K line too you, you kept your beater and you sold it was a what is it a PS it was a SGC six I think or something does that sound yeah. right? um, see I have a good memory too even though I'm old man but and I I criticized you for that decision I'm and privately you and I and I don't mean that in a mean way we just I said dude, are you sure you want to, I'm basically saying, you know, JT, are you sure you want to do this? Like, and you had it, you took a very pragmatic attitude towards it that, Hey, I'm, this is my living. I am also a collector, but I need to stay focused on what I collect and I respect that. And, uh, you were able to make a nice little profit on those cards, which is great. Good for you. What is the one vintage card? Maybe you don't just do just one, a couple that you would just love to own, that you would be more reluctant to get rid of.
1: That would be uh, that would be tough because the, the Robinson was really at the top of the list. That one of the Mansell, those two fifty threes, I think are are right there towards the top of my list. Um, if I got the Mansell again, that would be one of those that would be really tough. Uh, the The most difficult one would probably be the Aaron rookie, just because it's I've I've talked about that card with so many people. I've seen so many uh, friends and and colleagues and just people in the hobby who have gotten copies of the Aaron Rookie. It's such a classic card. It's a card where I used to really not like 54 tops when I first started getting into vintage, and now I absolutely adore it. And that's really the biggest reason why is that card. And I I think if I got one, I know eventually I, I would be willing to part ways with it, but it would be the same thing with the fifty three Jackie Robinson, the fifty three satchel page, where you're gonna have to name the price that is too good for me to pass up. and i I received a lot of criticism and people were like, "Oh, this is crazy. I can't believe you're selling these cards. and it's it's difficult for me too. um it's i I come into cards any anytime that I make a purchase really, and some in, in collections where I go, man, I really don't want to have to depart with this. But it's it's the nature of the beast. I chose to make this a profession, and that was one of the things I knew I'd have to have some kind of a hesitation towards. But I know that they're going into good collections. Um, I usually will on purchases that large will uh, check out the the reputation of the buyer and do a little searching, uh, and I you can dig up some dirt on some buyers. And I based on what I saw, they're they're going into some very valued collections, and I know that they will be uh, very well-respected maybe even more so than they would be in my collection. So I'm very happy that they are uh, with owners that are uh, going to be happy with them.
0: Well, you've added quite a few cards to my collection over the, over the <laughs> last year or so. And I appreciate that. It's, it's good to know people that are, that are looking out for you and that's really cool. Uh, one last topic about the millennials and when you're at card shows, what do you see with kids what do you and I, I i'm talking about not just young young kids you know 10 12 14 years old but your your generation of collector that you see it shows are they interested in vintage at all are they completely focused on the modern stuff what what's your observations been of that
1: well, i'd say it's probably similar to when a lot of people who are listening this were also kids. So I'm going to just use this as a blanket example. I know not everyone will fall into this age range. Is people who grew up in the 80s when the Jose Canseco rookie was the big card that you were trying to get out of 86 Donruss packs. It's the same way today where the Luis Robert rookie would be the big card to pull out of 2020 Topps packs. And probably back then, a lot of those people – I think back to when you were a kid. Were you interested in vintage? What was your perception?
0: Well, I, on it? I couldn't afford it, right? It's the story I was told, right? I just
1: right. And for anyone out there listening too, like, what was your level of interest? And I would say, if you, and I, I would love to read the comments down below on, on the YouTube version of this. If uh, if anybody wants to share what their experience was when they first uh, when they first got into the hobby, what was your opinion of older cards? But for the most part, I would say that that mindset that you had as a kid back then all these years later kind of holds true is that kids really do enjoy opening packs. And from what my experience has been is that a lot of people who have been in the hobby, if you ask them how they got into it, opening packs is very fundamental in one of their, in how they got into it. Um, chasing certain cards, like what was the big card when I was a kid, I, I was chasing this rookie or I was chasing this guy. Cause he was my favorite player on my favorite team where I think that it's very easy when when you're getting into it and you're younger, it's it's what you see on TV. Um, I think being a young person, you can be a lot more impressionable uh, as you kind of develop who you are and maybe you look up to some of these current players. But there's always time to go back, and that was something that when I first got into baseball, I was a Tigers fan of the current team. Uh, I got into it right around 2006 when they went to the World Series. And it was their first trip to the World Series since 1984. And through that, I learned more about the 84 team because I was I was getting more interested into it. And there was all these comparisons that were made between this team and that one. What did it look like the last time the Tigers were here? And you just inevitably kind of learn more and more about it. Um, a lot of my friends now, not necessarily within the hobby, but just sports friends, when they got into sports, they don't really... They, they always joke that I'm like this historian or I know, and I, I would say that my knowledge of like sports history is probably below average compared to a lot of the guests that you have on the show. Um, but I I do know a lot and they just don't go that far back. Um, they have gone farther back as time has gone on. And maybe I've, I've shared my own experiences with them, but it's, it's one of those things where it just kind of happens over time where, where you get into it. So, That's a really roundabout way of answering the actual question is that I don't really see too many of them. None of them ask about any of the vintage players. Some of them might make a comment here or there about a card. Um, An older card to them would be one that came out in like 2003, uh, for example, that that's more so an an older card, but that's that card's almost 20 years old now. That would be the same way where if you were someone who grew up collecting in the '80s, the uh, I'm just thinking of '60s rookies. The Pete Rose rookie would have been kind of the same deal back then, or the Joe Morgan rookie, or Steve Carlton. Just going down the list of all the '60s rookies. Right. It's just one of those things where it's it's a different story that keeps getting told over generations, and you see kind of the same habits repeated over generations in the hobby. So I I do believe that a lot of these of the younger collectors. If they keep with it uh, inevitably they will come across vintage and when they get exposed to it i would say the biggest thing is that if, if you have a kid who you're trying to get into the hobby expose them to it and even if they they don't take to it it's it's not something you can force on to them it's it's their hobby. they have to inevitably find it on their own or they they stick with what they're doing and just have them enjoy it um but open that window and show them. There is also this world here if you want to explore it. This is what I was passionate about as a kid. And I think that ties back into what we discussed earlier where I said, I I watch your videos and I see a car that I think is really cool, but maybe that car doesn't really move the needle for me. I'm going to apply kind of your passion for it into my own experience. And then I find a car that works for me. This is a car that would suit my interest it, it captures that moment in sports that is it means a lot to me more sentimentally and it all just kind of ties back to that as being able to pass along your hobby experience not exactly your your favorite cards but your experiences and um, your passion so i believe that is what is best to transfer uh, from generation to generation
0: it shows you see the millennial generation gravitating more towards which sports like how do the sports rank do you think to your generation versus my generation is it's not that i don't love football or love uh soccer well that's not true i don't really love soccer but (laughs) football or basketball i love those sports but they're not a passion for me from a collecting standpoint where do you see millennials appreciate sports what level what rank would you put them
1: it's probably going to come as no surprise to anyone that basketball is king that is number one Um, i would say baseball is probably a very strong number two football is number three Uh, i would say the gap between basketball and baseball is larger than that between baseball and football after that soccer is is Number four, again, it kind of goes down another tier, and then beyond that, it's it's kind of a toss-up as to where you go, um, and I'm sure it would change region to region, such as I, I grew up in the Detroit area, and I'm sure that there would be a lot more interest in hockey uh, in that area, and it would also kind of depend if, if there's local interests. For example, the Dallas Stars, down where you're at, just made it to the Stanley Cup finals because they're good right now, perhaps that... Adds a little bit more interest, whereas some of the other Dallas teams, they're not contending for a title at the moment. So that's it's just kind of it goes where it goes. I think a big part of it is the NBA does a fantastic job of branding its stars where they have these larger than life personalities where they kind of go beyond just being players in a game, but they are more so represented as actual people. I think more than anyone else. And in the age of social media, where you can follow these athletes and you can hear their thoughts and interact with them, something that you just don't have with a lot of, you know, with the vintage players Mickey Mantle did not have Twitter. Uh, you could not hear what Mickey Mantle thought about, uh, man, can't wait to go up against Hank Aaron uh, today in game one. Uh, that's just not something that you had access to. It'd be, you have to read about it in the paper. You have to, your a uh, post-game interview on the radio you'd have to have it on television and even in those places it's it's more so region locked back then as to where it is now where now the the world is at your fingertips and that's why I think you see a lot of these kids who they gravitate towards a player such as in, in basketball a hot name towards the end of the NBA playoffs was Tyler Hero because the Heat were in the finals and he's the hot rookie in there and these kids have absolutely no connection to the Miami Heat whatsoever. Um, Tyler Hero played at University of Kentucky, which isn't all that far from me. There's some interest with with that team around these parts. Not as much as as I'm making it out to be probably, but he, he was the hot player and they could connect with him. So I think it's, again, goes back to that accessibility point.
0: Very, very cool. Well, JT, man, thank you so much for your perspective and uh just i i love what you're doing in the hobby can you tell people how they can find you on all the social media world places if they want to go uh see you and how you do things i can if, if you're interested in, in buying cards
1: from me and uh, mike will probably laugh when i when i say this my ebay store is is uh triple crown 24 sports cards dc 24 sports cards my ebay username its triple crown um it's probably not the best store to plug on here because I don't have very much vintage, but when I do, it, it will be there uh, on YouTube. I'm triple crown 24. Uh, and that's pretty much where you can find me anywhere else. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'll probably be in the comments section of this video as well. So you can find me there as well.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you for doing this. Thanks for uh, being willing to come on here and just, let's talking through this because I think, again, it's so important to pass it on as we've talked about, hopefully myself and several of your friends have passed on an appreciation for vintage to you that you didn't have a couple of years ago. And I I think that works, I I really do. And it, again, like you, you said it perfectly, you can't force it on somebody, but we all gravitate towards people that exude passion around this hobby. And I certainly do. I think that's kind of human nature. And all we can do is share our passion. And I try to do that on this show. I try to do it through my YouTube channel all the time. How much I love this stuff. It's not just I'm saying it just to say it. Yeah, I'm saying it because I really mean it. And I think people can appreciate that and hopefully find their own way, find a way to appreciate that in their own hobby and what they do. So... Thanks man for coming on. Do you have a good time?
1: Uh, I had a pretty adequate time. Like it was uh, <laughs> very middle of the road. <laughs> no, no, it was a fantastic discussion. i I was very uh, honored that you asked me to be on this show. I, I greatly enjoy listening to it. Um, I think the passion radiates on this show. This is episode 10 now. Yes. And I've, I've listened to all previous nine episodes and I've learned quite a bit and I, You guys have a lot more knowledge on vintage than I do. I'm very much a student of the game in the hobby in general, but also really towards vintage. It's a weaker area for me. So to hear about it from you guys and to pick up on it, even if I might not understand everything to the same level, I do, as we've mentioned several times, appreciate the passion that goes into it. And hearing you guys talk about it definitely gives me that appreciation. So whatever you're passionate about in the hobby, share it. Because people, they might not have as much passion about whatever particular thing you're showing, but they can appreciate how much you appreciate it. I think that's that's very critical.
0: Absolutely. Well, guys, if you're listening to this on whatever platform you listen to it on, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you name it. If you do me a favor and go out there and rate uh, this show, it really means a lot to us. And we'd love that. If you're watching it on YouTube, watching the video like subscribe uh go watch the other episodes if you haven't really uh, as jt said i think you'll you can learn a lot hopefully and we'll continue to provide that out there to the world and so there we go man we are done with episode number 10 it's in the books so let's let everybody go thanks everybody for uh joining in watching listening and uh, jt again thank you and uh hey keep collecting keep collecting All right. See you guys later.